0: Welcome to this episode of Keeping Track. My guest today is from East Cork and teaches computer science in MTU, but we're here to talk about his passion for music that challenges the usual conventions. He recently set up his own independent record label called Crim Cram, a name he took from two characters in Samuel Beckett's novel, How It Is. Crim Cram launches and distributes some truly niche and experimental noise music with a steady output of up to 11 releases since the label's inception back in April 2022. My guest is one of those rare philanthropic folk that all music scenes need. He has no interest in making music himself, but through a deep knowledge and intense fondness for all things underground, he's willing to take a risk in giving a platform to the music he loves. We're going to talk about all this and much more. So without any more introduction, I'd like to welcome Dave Murphy to the show. Thanks for coming on, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Do you want to give us your first tune to orientate our listeners?
1: Yeah, this is from um, a release that's not officially out, but it'll be out any day now. It's Usurper Concert for Your Home. This is a concert for your home, but you are in the wrong home. Your concert is next door. Pick up that glass place it on the wall and listen <laughs> 嗯 concert for home please leave this home and enter the correct one for your concert this one is about to start
0: that was concert for your home by usurper and that was picked by my guest today dave murphy dave murphy runs an independent record label called crim cram here in cork city so dave you and i are probably the same age when i was a teenager i thought everything i listened to was counterculture and below the radar but it was completely mainstream really you know you'd have madonna next to Soundgarden manufacture girl and boy bands next to Nirvana you know all in the beatbox in a Sunday morning with Ian Dempsey but um, I was wondering did you always shy away from that was pop culture and shy away from music that was, you know, part of the hype machine. We were always looking for music that was a little bit more left field. Was there a gateway gig you went to? An influential friend or a local artist that turned you on to all things noise and experimental? Well, I was
1: obsessed with Guns N' Roses from like a very young age. So from about the age of seven to 11, I was just like, i must listen to Appetite for Destruction five times a day, every day of the year for whatever. And, and then when I was about 11, got really into Nirvana. And then, yeah, like a lot of that stuff. Like you'd hear it on the beatbox and so on, but like Nirvana were still like a very much like a gateway to a lot of stranger stuff for me. Yeah, like, like the first time I ever discovered William Burroughs was through the Kurt Cobain, the Priest they called them collaboration, and then yeah, I would have heard of more than heard, but heard like you know stuff like bottle surfers um melvin's sonic use the wipers actually were another like really big one that i discovered through nirvana and yeah later then you know so not all the stuff i would have picked up at the time you know like much much later when i got into Earth and heard like one of those earlier EPs uh, Extra uh, Capsular Extraction I think it was the one Um, and then noticed it was like recorded at Smeigma Studios by Mike Lastra who was a Smeigma member I was into Earth long before I like kind of realised that it was like later when I discovered Smeigma and then went back and noticed that in the the liner notes I, I was always probably like searching for more outer stuff, but didn't really have any kind of way into it, you know, I didn't have like an older sibling or a friend's older sibling. So it was mainly, yeah, true, like Dave Fanning show and you know John Kenny and so on. Um, that you know that was my you know main thing. But when I went when I came to college, then probably is like a universal kind of experience. But you know just got exposed to a lot more things. And you know there's lots of stuff happening in in Cork as well at the time. we Got to see Fugazi um, in Nancy Spain. Emmet Bandicoot was doing loads of like interesting gigs. Albert Toomey was in when he was in Limerick. You know was kind of manning AMC and there was like they were doing lots of great stuff as well. And um, Brian Shocknessy and Paul Higarty were running Dot 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 which was a label and they were doing kind of like noise and experimental nights in Cork as well Mick O'Shea and Danny McCarthy were doing stuff and kind of pop along to that as well um And then I guess like a really kind of big gateway for me was like around the early 2000s, there was this website called Django's.com. I don't know if anyone remembers it or if if people were even really using it, but it was basically, it was a website that like a lot, like loads of like independent um, record stores in the States could sign up to and they could sell through that. Um, And it was like really, really cheap. It was like mainly new stuff as well, but mainly secondhand and you get like second hand CDs for like two, $3. And if you ordered, I think it was like over $25 or something you'd free shipping as well. So I was just accumulating loads and loads of stuff through that and like that's how I first kind of got to hear Smegma and, um, you know, like a lot, of, a lot of stuff that I'd read about for like maybe a couple of years but had no way of actually hearing it. You know finally now is you know now now i now i can get this stuff and i can get it really really cheap and then i guess not long after that then would have found stuff like um RRR, which was like a really like influential uh noise label and record store based in massachusetts in lowland massachusetts and um and it's run by like one of the most amazing people who's ever lived uh, a guy called ron Lesser who used to perform on the name emile uh, bellew and he used to run like really Great sales! You get like three LPs for like twenty dollars, and you know five CDs for twenty dollars or something. And um, and again, it was like back at this time, postage from the states was really really cheap. Um, Cause at the time I I had no money so but I was able to still like you know accumulate you know lots and lots of stuff and then Ron also he would always throw in some extra CDs a lot of stuff I wouldn't have heard of before and in the time since it's become like stuff by some of my favorite artists like people like Hands to and Shop Shop and kind of things like that. So, uh, yeah, I guess that was my kind of route into stranger music. I'm, uh, I'm always forgetting something. I don't know if it's everyone's experience when you're in your early 20s, everything kind of broadens and you're just exposed to an awful lot of stuff at the same time. Like now, even just thinking there's you know, like Leo Sullivan was doing really great, like doom metal and punk gigs in Cork. So there's all this stuff kind of happening at the same time. You become very immersed in it and then you, you, you almost forget what was your kind of pathway in, into, like, how, how did I get here? You know, how did I end up, you know, uh, listening to a record that's like, I don't know, the sound of water dripping into a basin from, you know, 40 years ago. And you know. <laughs> yeah. Was there any gig that, really opens you up to that stuff yeah the dot 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 gigs you know the stuff they were doing and there was a john butcher gig in the lobby he's this amazing uk saxophonist he's not really noise but you know he does like very kind of interesting stuff and like it doesn't sound like a lot of the stuff he plays sounds almost like ele- electronic doesn't really sound like a saxophone but yeah I, I still i still remember that one specifically being like a moment where like i just left like totally elated yeah. and you know all these gigs as well. They were like, our, well, a lot of those gigs were very, very sparsely attended. So it was very like solitary uh, experience when a plugged opening and i think it was like 2002 you know that was another like big big thing really like an injection of energy into the city and Mm. just seemed like that it was a a lot of like gigs and give us stocking great music as well and fast forwarding a good couple of years but going to the first color out of space festival um and actually kind of on that note as well like you know um dylan nyukas and karen constance and Chocolate Monk and um, Color of the Space, that was a huge kind of influence also. Um, and uh, they continue to be like, a, you know, a really big inspiration, you know, getting to know them over the years personally. Those are kind of ones that immediately come to mind anyway. Give us another tune there, Dave. So this is Brent Lewis ensemble. Um, Clarence Bison triggers a mullet apocalypse. You
0: can immediately stop talking. Swallow.
1: With your hand on your throat.
2: Does it hurt when I press here? We can't cram something down his throat. Now push out hard each time. It a lump to my throat when I throw it. Swallow. Bring a lump to my throat when I start it. Swallow. Its arm was stretched out in a most unnatural position. But then, without warning, his arm flew back, and he threw his dagger. Its arm. Was stretched out in a most unnatural position. One of those grappling hook arms is just as good as the real thing. You're releasing
3: it for the night. Religious dagger.
2: You're releasing it for the night. Just the other day, my butcher was saying something about it. It actually became a waste problem.
0: Why didn't I bring a snack with me today?
2: Let me take your suitcase. Let me take your suitcase.
0: It actually became waste He began to act fearful and edgy, but he wouldn't say why. For a doomsday, that never happened. I popped
2: a melon in the fridge to chill. Let me take your suitcase. I popped a melon in the fridge to chill. Melons alone or leave them alone? Why don't you leave me alone? You're going to be sitting alone. A place of warmth and refuge. That would
0: be nice. In a, reason, an experiment
2: a strange story, made stranger because it is true. There isn't one
4: drop
0: of uranium blood in either side of the whole family. Oh, I see.
3: You should have known,
0: my old grandma. She passed away at hundred and ten, but the baby lived. <laughs> Oh,
2: I don't know what's the matter with young people nowadays. Yes, I know what you mean, Mary. I understand they found out a out pretty good product. Sounds pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> it's good to know there's still some warmth and gaiety left in this war-torn country. That's though. just what I've been saying all along. <laughs> hey, I feel better already. I understand they found out a out pretty good product. In another part of the city, at
3: the very same time... <laughs> My
2: hand into it. I think everybody wants to have
3: a good time, you yeah. know? I wanna smash my hand into it. And
2: maybe forget about all the
3: problems that there are today. Just for a little while. <laughs>
1: was Brent Lewis Ensemble and Clarence Bison Triggers Mullet Apocalypse. Can you
0: give us an introduction to Krimkram
1: Records? So I started it in, well, the first releases were in April 2022, but I kind of started it around June the previous year. Most, it's just personal taste and, you know, people that I admire and would like to um, get their music out there in the world. Um, when did you start thinking of setting up Krimkram? Oh, yeah, like, Probably 10, 15 years ago and more. The type of music that I'm into and stuff that's released, you know, it's a very small world and it's, you know, quite niche interest. Almost everyone is involved in some way, you know, mostly, you know, people like doing their own recording. And I don't make my own music. I don't have any interest in doing it. Yeah, I spend... ridiculous amount of of my life listening to strange sounds so it was just a way of I guess like you know being more involved or doing something that's kind of personally fulfilling also it was always in my mind maybe for like 10-15 years and then for various life reasons and um, not having enough time or money you know put it off and yeah just decided to go for it Um, still didn't have enough time or money definitely uh, neither of both but um, you kind of realised at the moment anyway CDs are quite you know cheap to to make so i kind of realized actually you know it doesn't didn't take as much time or money as i had maybe thought, and then just yeah dived into it did you have anyone that you could call
0: on for advice in running a label oh yeah
1: loads of people seymour who's main person behind brent lewis ensemble he had a lot of really good advice when i was starting um he's been around for a long long time and he used to do really very influential noise experimental magazine called banana fish from the 80s up to the early 2000s and he's been involved with kind of releasing stuff for a long long time as well dylan ayukas who's doing chocolate monk there is a good friend of mine in the uk also based in brighton called duncan harrison he had set up a label not long before i started mine called ad and. You know, I guess there's a certain barrier to when you don't know how to start a label, but there's very little to it, you know, and then once you actually start it, it just becomes second nature or something. The main barriers at the beginning were stuff about like what's a fair amount of like artist copies to give to artists what's a realistic number of cds or whatever to press you know things like that or or even like at the beginning like where people were getting stuff manufactured now when i started my label almost every single noise cd that's come out in the past like five ten years made in the same place um so and i already knew of of this place called Monotype because they used to run a label. So I I, I knew of that anyway already, but still it was useful to get like maybe some other options. A big question that I had at the beginning that I was able to ask people for advice was like, you know, how do you set your wholesale prices, you know, kind of things like that. You know, a lot of people sell their stuff almost entirely directly or through Bandcamp now, but like to me for the type of stuff I'm into and because of the way I Came to this world. I I really value just getting stuff to distros. I suppose
0: through the scene and going to gigs for so many years, you would have known maybe through the artists who their distributors were, things like that.
1: Well, there's no, no, there's no real distributors okay. <laughs> like in this. Well, there, I mean, there is, but you're kind of going up to a different level to what I'm operating at at that point. So like I'm I d- distro through distros that I order from and uh, that you know that I knew of, you know, throughout the years of buying stuff myself. So I kind of knew of like all these distros anyway and I, you know just kind of reached out to them, but I really value just getting stuff to distros even if it means that like you know your margins are very very small, but you know there's certain distros that, like, are as important to me in this scene th- to, like, labels or artists and, and so on. Just for somebody who's listening that may not know what a distro is, could you explain what they are? Yeah, so some places have, you know, physical shop fronts I guess, also, but mainly, like, mail order. Um, a lot of times they're run by people, or, like, by artists also. I mean, again, like, in this world, it's, like, it's so small, you know, like, a... a A lot of people are doing multiple, have multiple things. So a lot of people are like recording their own music, running labels, doing distro also. A a lot of people do it because, you know, for trading, they'll trade their own releases and distro through that. I I don't distro myself just because Ireland's quite small and like it, it to me, it wouldn't make sense to order something from me when you know there's bigger distros that you can get it from with a Mm -hmm. wider range of stock and so on but um, i mean it would make sense if there was more people in ireland people might think of stuff like cargo or people like these big distributors as as distros but that's not the type of distros i'm i'm talking about it's really (laughs) small you know quite focused a lot of stuff would be you know primarily in uh, noise music and and then some certain ones that might be a little bit broader. would um, somebody wanted a distro from their house. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And then sometimes, as I said, like, you know, there was, there was a couple of, for me, like, very influential ones. Um, there was, so one of the releases I put out was by a guy called Daniel Lohenbrook, who um, runs a label called Token at Olive and ru- uh, runs distro mail order called Rumpsty Pumpsty. And he used to be, he was based in Berlin for a long, long time and he had a, a physical store also that was like a gallery space as well. That was a very influential one for me as well. But that used to stock a lot of like arts, like a lot of noise stuff as well, but like a lot of stuff more from like art world. And his store was, yeah, it was just incredible. Like, yeah, I mean, I only got to visit it, I think maybe twice or something. But I remember the second time going in with like a list of stuff that I wanted to get because I was determined not to spend too much money. And then... <laughs> I I think like the very first thing I saw when I went in was stuff that wasn't listed on the website because yeah, you know, he would have like secondhand stuff that wasn't maybe up for general sale and you know, the list just went straight in the bin. And (laughs) 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 Um, anyway, that's a digression, but they're stalking things that they want to hear themselves and it's. You know, it's, it's almost like a feeding a habit, you know, that like, like I was mentioning earlier about like when I first started getting into the stuff and getting stuff from the States and the postage being so cheap, like I remember pretty much like the exact day when when all that changed and the postage rates from the States like doubled overnight. And like now it's just it's crazy expensive mm-hmm. to order. So if you know. It doesn't make sense to order, like, one or two tapes or CDs from the States, but some people who are running distros, if they want to get it, they'll get, you know, extra copies and then, you know, kind of sell the the other copies. There aren't that many distros left. You know, there's a couple in Europe. Is there many distros in Ireland? Um not that i'm aware of um Is there I mean, any? A, oh yeah yeah i mean there's a there's a really great like punk and metal one um based up in sligo i think called uh, Dis- destroy yeah. but for like noise and experimental stuff i don't i don't think so i would do it if it made sense because it's 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 a good way to um like i do i still trade a lot of label stuff but mainly just for personal copies of stuff that i'm interested in it's a good way to be able to trade copies of your own releases for other stuff that you would then be able to sell um but I, I, again, I don't really see that many people in Ireland who would be motivated to, to buy that stuff. So yes.
0: essentially you are the distro for cream Cram in Ireland, but when it comes to England, oh, yeah, or, yeah.
1: Yeah, you, you have to go to the people you know then, obviously. Yeah. yeah, in terms of like Ireland, I sell direct, obviously, yeah, yeah. or like through Plugged. Give us another tune there then. Adam Bowman, um, Roy Orbison text piece.
4: Canada, night, American, daily over This. Reality active lefty, lefty national listed small such Orb Indian's Kenneth Donkey Miles Started her. First Tyson Open Country Balcony, balcony that playing whiskey. Dakota most their join resp- duration hyson, Penniless Tyson. Geraldine Mule Orbit Wim fen Fem- Nature Bought Bobby Tor Fence Tor. Feudal Valley Glasses Look the Romantic Sympathetic Century yellows- Great Ruefully Snake Strong Integrated Valley Finals into could. Yellowstone National Contract Claudette cannon. The Hollyfied, and Hunter Have Bison Imagination. Claudette.
3: Proves people, largest
4: only. Open
3: Bur- Elkhorn Bur- Establish a
4: Me- new Symbol, original like rock, it. which when becomes open.
3: Bison range... collaborative, blacklisted, boards. recording,
4: running. <laughs> ...overgrazing... rotating bison. Bison Newburgh Claudette Well Bison Row only eight Rolling Border National kids Indian time universe, animal rock, Spectre Cave rock, York Bison, Wire Park Over recording once broadcast in this season shoes never never annoyed when Badland's old Braganized Hunter Haru shoes Ask with the noon south small deck jerry musin get S- on peaceful elsewhere Custer. large snake Oglala. hard anyone Any know said song. song should good retired miles things, up. singing by voice Advance, royalties singer.
3: Roosevelt,
4: original. Yellowstone, only. Nothing Broken. I drove. Inex. No. Period. To be with Operatic. Dakota. Nash. First State Preserve. Perky over
3: All right. All right. All right. Patterns soon, not not like to
4: Texas,
3: be with you visits at least. You're see you. oh. oh. you. other national
4: You're surplus. Good you. to be didn't open rocky national.
1: It's uh Adam Bowman, um, Roy or Bison text piece um, from an upcoming release.
0: So you have a great mix of artists, old and new, that are spread out across the globe. How does an independent noise label in Cork end up with
1: artists based in America, Germany, England, Switzerland, Italy? I started the label quite late into like listening to all this stuff. I'd already spent... You know 15 20 years listening to the stuff and then also my ex-wife and i used to run gigs in cork as well so you kind of knew people through that and then going to there was a lot of festivals in the kind of early to mid 2000s it was almost like a golden period of like really good festivals happening in the uk Um so it was traveling over to that and then you just kind of meet a lot of people through that. Um, so the first releases, the, again, Smegma and Brent Lewis, they were people I, I, I knew personally. In the case of Seymour Brent Lewis, I met him at Colorado Space um, just briefly, but, you know, I, I emailed him. Um, Jackie and Rick from Smegma came to Cork and played a gig in, I think it was 2009 or so, and stayed with us for, you know, for a couple of days or so. And like long before I met them, you know, Smegma were like a really important group for me in terms of like you know getting into this stuff
0: and it's interesting Uh, that a group that are based in Pasadena that formed in 1973 are on your label you know
1: I was really chuffed I guess that release was um, it was a reissue of a tape and I'd already had the tape so I, I was able to propose that as like one of the first releases and like the reason I kind of proposed that one specifically is that it kind of tied into when I first started discovering all this stuff, I was really into punk music and then also into experimental music. But they kind of like existed separately for me. And I know now there was like a huge kind of crossovers between those worlds, but I wasn't really aware of that at the time. Um, and that specific release then obviously is, is from their kind of like their punk years, you know, it's like when they were playing gigs with like, you know, um, the Wipers and well, I, I knew like they, they had like, you know, some members from Poison Idea were involved with them and so on kind of throughout the 80s and 90s as well. But
0: we probably don't have time to go through them all. But, you know, you have Evandy Heckboy. He's an American painter and surrealist animation filmmaker. You have Daniel Lornbrook, German drama based sound artist, uh, size effects. Belfast Born, but based in Switzerland, Stuart McCune. Rick Potts was founding member of the Los Angeles Free Music Society. And he's been active in experimental music since the 70s. You've uh, LDSN and Nikita, they're English based artists. You have an American percussionist, Ted Burns, and have Italian, Luciano Maggiore and a dairyman, Michael Spears. Yeah. For somebody that doesn't know Crinkram uh, or doesn't or isn't too fait with like, the Noise music scene, when you go through your website, and I recommend anyone listen to go through the website because it's the, the layout. I really like the way it's done. You know, you start with your first release and then you can go through and then you, you can hear every artist. So you get a real sense of the kind of journey that the label has been on. And I think you've only got two people who are based in Ireland right now, which would be uh, Kevin Kerwin and... um Declan it It's a very impressive resume you have of artists or like a <laughs> repertoire of artists on your label. And, um, you know, if somebody doesn't know
1: you or know the scene, it would seem like, oh, how, how does how does that happen? How did you get those, those people? So not, not everyone, there wasn't all the people I knew personally. I'd met Seymour from Brent Lewis, Jackie and Rick from Smegna. Rick Potts I knew for a good couple of years, again, through like going to festivals. And I, I was a really big smegma and los angeles free music society fan and there's other people you know again i've mentioned like dylan ayukas and karen constance they were amongst the first people that i reached out to as well and they're going to be recording something for the label um as well but you know i, I don't know yet when it'll come out but they were in the first kind of group of people that i'd reached out to so I, andy heck boyd i've never met him but I discovered him through a friend in the UK who's um, also going to be doing an upcoming release. It's going to be my first final release, a guy called Thomas Roche who does a project called Creep of Paris and runs a label called Research Laboratories. And he had sent me stuff and he'd sent me a tape by this person, Andy Heck Boyd, you know, when I did discover him then, he was quite, quite prolific. And I, I think I just reached out to him on like Instagram or something and um, got chatting and, um, I had the label started at that stage, so I would have said, you know, I was a fan of his stuff. And if he was ever into doing something on the label, I'd be delighted. And a lot of the releases kind of came about kind of like that as well. Mm. Um, like the Ted Burns one, Ted originally actually reached out to me um, through Stuart because he he was looking to record a collaboration with a Bauron musician. Um, so he, I think he was a little bit nervous um, asking an Irish person, yeah, but I was like, no, no, everyone in Ireland, <laughs> you know, knows <laughs> someone who knows some trad musicians. But uh, anyway, we had a plan in place for that to happen. It, it didn't work out in the end for various reasons. But um, as we were chatting, you know, I, I, I would say I said I was a big fan of his stuff again. and. Um, you know would have loved to do a release by him um, like Daniel Owenbrook was another person I knew personally through his mail order and, and
0: um, record store um, so even though like I suppose that these artists are spread out the scene is very kind of
1: yeah it's very like diverse international but it's it's a very very small world and mm-hmm. also I guess you know there was a certain releases then I guess like people would have become aware of the label through certain releases and then would have reached out to me so the Luciano and Michael one I like I, have, I haven't met either personally, but I think it was Michael who reached out to me um and said he had a recording with Luciano and I, I, I knew of Luciano's stuff and was a fan of his stuff already. Um and yeah, I was really into it. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I, I'd love to release it. So. So, so it's a combination of me asking people and then sometimes then, you know, people approaching me as well.
0: So is there a philosophy to the Is there a through line
1: with all the artists, do you think? I mean, a lot of people have commented that the label is diverse, um, but like, I don't necessarily think so. You know, I think it's, because it's still quite like niche experimental, you know, for what, want of a better term. But I guess I do kind of know like where people are coming from in terms of like the range of sounds and people, but people who are doing in stuff that is interesting to me, <laughs> yeah, um, is the best way I could describe it. Give us another tune, there, though So next one's uh, Rick Potts Coyote Squash. <laughs>
2: so geht es ist schon drin die ist ja total nett die wird auch bestimmt nicht ganz so dann i But we'll talk I'll say it. 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 it is so sure that I can't do it. to do it. I'm going 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 to do it. 秦龍
3: Fuck <laughs>
0: By
1: Rick Potts. How did you come across Rick Potts? He was a founding member of this group called Los Angeles Free Music Society. And so I would have heard of this group long before I actually heard any of the recordings, around the time when I first heard of Smegma, because Smegma were also LA FMS associated. So there was a box set came out in the '90s called the Lowest Form of Music, and it was a, it was a ten CD box set that had like a whole bunch of like La FMS stuff, and it's you know quite diverse. Rick has like obviously he he has a ton of projects, that, you know different groups and so on that are on that box set. But there was one of the CDs was a solo disc. To me, at the time, it really stood out because it was really like pop music. Uh, to me, you know, it was like it was it's all like catchy songs and like you know a lot of like these kind of you know goofy like radio jingles and so on um and like i just thought that i just thought they were like really really amazing uh, pop songs like uh, getting it might not be everyone's definition of pop but um they were definitely songs anyway you know as opposed to like most of the other stuff on the box that was you know quite abstract i think i first met him then there was a festival in london all based around Los Angeles Free Music Society and I remember uh, saying to him that like just how much I loved his you know his kind of pop stuff or you know specifically that disc on the the LAFMS uh, box set and I think he was really like kind of surprised because I remember him saying that like he a lot of the people that were into his more kind of abstract experimental stuff didn't well he felt didn't really like the 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 more kind of pop stuff he sent me a a cd of unreleased demos um and some of it like the sound quality and some of them was you know you know not great but it was amazing like i really there was just tons of stuff on it that, that i really really loved and i remember saying to him after that that if i that i had this plan at some point to start the label and if i ever did that I would really like to put out a CD of his of his songs you know that that predates the label by years and years and years so again when I did finally start it he was one of the first people as well that I reached out to and that was the original intention for that release was to have it as just kind of like pop songs and then as we were kind of working on it. So he sent me a load of tracks and, you know, he said he'd like that if I was involved with, you know, choosing the tracks and so on.
0: He asked you to help him picking the tunes. How much input do you have with your artist? It
1: depends. Like, so a lot of the times, I don't know if it's if I've just gotten lucky. Everyone that I've released so far is, are people that I... Really, I really like what they're doing and more or less always like what I've gotten has been perfect as far as I, as far as I'm concerned or to me, I was more than happy to release it as is. I mean, a lot of these people as well, they're very, very self-critical, you know, and, uh, there's been cases where I've gotten something that I thought was amazing and then. You Know the person has gone back and redid it and it's turned out even better, you know. Uh, um, and then sometimes you know people do ask for feedback and you know would really value it. Um, but again, so far anyway, at least pretty much everything I've gotten or that I've released anyway is fully formed. You never have to take an artist aside and say, Look, listen, that artwork is a bit weak or that track is, um, no, no, <laughs> like, um. I think I've gotten lucky so far in terms of like the people I've asked and the the stuff that I've gotten. So do you have any advice to any artists trying to break into the, the noise music scene? The idea of kind of like breaking into the scene again, like it's so it's so small and niche that a lot of people come to it as fans. Just like getting getting stuff out there, you know, and kind of don't be afraid to reach out to people. And because of my job, there are certain times of the year that I'm very, very busy, so I can be a bit It's slower to reply to emails that are, you know, not work related. But I will always try to, you know, if it's someone that's kind of genuine and and has taken an interest in the label, you know, I'll always try and give it a listen. I think a lot of people in this world are, are, you know, quite similar. Interesting stuff has some way of getting out there.
0: Um, So say Kevin's story, Kevin Kerwin, who is dressing. Yeah. So you never met him. You never seen him live. Somehow his music ended up on your label. Yeah. So that story might be interesting to someone who is maybe sitting at home with, like, a computer full of
1: similar music and wondering what do I do with it, you know? Yeah, well, if it's similar to that, send it to me. Okay. (laughs) But, like, yeah, Kevin's story is, is that's, I mean, I I think that's pretty amazing. Ireland is very, it's very small, like, underground scene and there's a huge, like, crossover between various types of music and, you know, there's always this like maybe like two degrees of separation or like if there's a new project you know you'll all, almost always know someone who's at least kind of tangentially related to it. Oh, that's a new project, but it's you know the same couple of people you know yeah. do, doing doing something new or so on. But yeah, with Kevin's case, like so, I I heard about him through a friend of mine who does a noise label in the US um, called Matt Purse who's um, he runs a label called Oxen Records which is a really great uh, noise label long long running but he's his mother's from Cork so he has a very strong interest in everything Cork and And are Ireland related and he has a project called Fenian, and so on. But anyway, he um, he had heard of dressing through an American guy in Germany uh, called Oscar Brummel, who runs a label called White Centipede Noise. I think Kevin obviously had just started like kind of maybe kind of getting into like noise music and discovered White Centipede Noise and sent. Some of these copies of his you know the, those first tapes which were again just like editions of 25 but anyway he'd sent them to to oscar and yeah oscar must have like taken a listen and was really into it and you know stalked them and then included kevin in his kind of end of year um roundup and i think kevin was as surprised as anyone to to hear that yeah. and uh so matt had heard that um and then he reached out wondering if if I knew who Kevin was and um, I'd never heard of him so I was but I, at the time I was thinking well I, I don't know what this project guessing addressing is but it has to be someone I know you know um, surely and it, especially like when I listened to it well when I listened to it I was, I was I was really surprised because the type of noise that he was doing was like like very very specific and specifically stuff that it was that I was really really interested in but there's like maybe as far as I knew, maybe like four or five other people in in Ireland that, you know, were into this stuff or knew about it. So it's very like textural kind of noise or like um stuff like, you know, hands to chop shop, that you know, that kind of stuff, you know, got his email address I think through Bandcamp or something and or maybe you just sent him a message through Bandcamp and I said, Look, I'm just starting the label. Um, These are my first two releases, and if he was interested in doing something, I'd be delighted. Um, And actually in the time since, as it turned out, I think Matt, my friend in LA, was also contacting him. um, And he ended up doing a release on Oxen as well just a couple of weeks afterwards. So Kevin must have been there wondering, like, what the hell is going on here? And there was this kind of flurry of interest or something. So anyway, he said that he was working on the Oxen one, but that... Mm -hmm. You know if, if we're as interested in doing something in the future or um, and then i proposed, you know maybe just re- um, reissuing the two tapes on a cd and he was totally into that so that that one kind of came together very very quickly gives another tune there dave so this one's uh, creep of paris and it's an excerpt from the what will be the first lp on the label um called virgin brood
0: That was Creeper Paris with Virgin Brood and that's picked by my guest today, Dave Murphy. How does *Crimcram* promote its artists? I, I'd imagine, you know, in 2023 for an independent label, social media is quite important. And do you find that hard? Yeah, I had
1: uh, no social media presence at all up to <laughs> April 2022. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit of a baptism of fire. I remember what, like, when I started, when I put out the first releases and just signed up, like I think, like after, like, 10 15 minutes on Twitter I had to go to bed for an hour it was just it was totally overwhelming and and then other stuff like you know I still haven't figured out how to use Facebook it just uh, because I'm doing all this in in my spare time which is very very limited I feel like I could probably be doing more in terms of like you know um, getting stuff out there but um, you know you can only do what you can but yeah so in terms of promotion yeah like it's like getting stuff to distros um, sending stuff off for reviews um you know getting stuff to kind of radio people and so on yeah. like you know reviewers and radio people they, you know, they just get so much stuff that they're not going to be able to play everything i sent to them or review everything i s- sent to them and so on so yeah it is mainly through social media i'd say in terms of like getting word out there it doesn't always translate to sales you know you'll get like a flurry of interest and you know maybe uh, not so much sales but um but it's still i mean there's more to it than that and you know it's still getting word out there and and it's a very efficient way I guess of like of people finding out about new releases on the label I mean I do try to I'm quite old fashioned and you know I try to like have a mailing list that there's only like twenty people have signed up to but if anyone is interested in this stuff, please sign up to the mailing list, mailing list but again you know like i I understand that you know I understand it's just it's an easier way for people to find out about things by being on social media and and if I wasn't if I didn't have that presence I think it would be very difficult to to get word out there it's not really how I find out about music myself But I, I mean I do find out about like stuff that people are doing um, but but yeah definitely in terms of like making contacts and you know there's a bunch of releases on the label that the, the contact would have been through social media like the Andy heck Boyd I, I think I first was in contact with him through probably Instagram, same with Ted Burns. Stuart's size effects, you know, that contact was initially through Instagram also. And, uh, you know, I guess like if that platform wasn't there, it, I don't know how efficient like an e- email communication is, you know, um, I mean, I personally more, much more value, like, you know, email communication, but you know, it does take more time. And, um, you know, in, in, in social media can be very like quick and instant in terms of like contacting people there's a whole bunch of people on the label are not are not on social media or people who are on maybe like upcoming releases and so on and you know people who are there are not like prolific posters or anything but um um, anyone who's constantly posting i don't know if if anything i i don't i don't I, i don't know any specifics but like i initially it might seem like a turn off more than more than anything else. You
0: know. Let's move on. Um. So what sets Ireland's
1: experimental noise scene apart from other regions in Europe and the UK, do you think? Is there any difference? Oh yeah, very much so. I don't think there's like specifically like noise scene within Ireland, but there's a very vibrant like underground and it's very diverse and there's a lot of overlap between different people into different um, musical styles. And I, like t- at least in my experience that doesn't, really kind of happen in a lot of other places maybe it's to do with like you know the the, the fact that ireland is quite small um everyone in my experience most people i assume anyway are, are very sound people you know um it, def, like people that i would regard as good friends you know um you know it's very you have like people doing kind of club type stuff people doing like you know experimental stuff like you know let's say like reception in in dublin you know, in Cork, like the Danny and Mick and Quite Club and Guest House mm. and all that kind of scene, um, that kind of overlap is mm. unique. And then, and also like in terms of like back to the more club stuff, like, you know, groups like Gash Collective and um, in Cork, the, Do- the people who are doing Dose and uh, D- DDR people in Dublin, you know, they're all of those as well. They're very mm. like politically right on and, People that I personally anyway, I would very much like respect and admire and trust. Um, Mm. And even though it's like it's it's a different type of uh, like it's music that, that I'm very much into. But, you know, like it's outside of maybe like the stuff that I'm releasing in my experience. Anyway, in other countries, there isn't as much kind of crossover between different musical worlds that there is in Ireland.
0: But do you think that that is a kind of across the board in all scenes, you know, say like maybe the punk scene and, you know, people might be in a punk band, but they also might be in an experiment oh, yeah, yeah. or a jazz band. Yeah. 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 Do you yeah. think that's to do with
1: the size of Ireland? Um, I think so. Yeah. Like and and also, you know, just being again, maybe it's, it's probably different in Dublin, but in, in Cork because of the size of the city that it is, you know you do end up or I end up anyway going to a lot of stuff that I might not necessarily go to if I was living in like London or or wherever Um, I don't know if it's it's to do with the size of the country that is that kind of facilitates this kind of crossover and also I mean I think it's for me personally anyway like just like people who are like passionate about what they're doing and you know that kind of honesty or integrity or whatever is 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 obvious and it's really like inspiring you know. Do you think there
0: would be room for a punk band on crim
1: cram yeah definitely i mean i like my own path into all this stuff was primarily through punk music and you know even like maybe going from like nirvana and then from like you know that to like wipers and poison idea and, and stuff like that or and then even most of the gigs that i was going to maybe around the time that i was discovering all this Noise and experimental stuff were primarily punk gigs. Metal made by punks that were, you know, stuff that was happening in, you know, threads and so on. I'm, I'm not too familiar with what's kind of happening in punk scene anymore, but I'm definitely still interested in, into that stuff. And if it was something that I taught that I was personally into, then I, yeah, I would absolutely research it.
0: Yeah. You've been involved in the scene for so long, even in mainstream music. Do you hear influences of noise music? Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: totally. Mainstream music now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's really, like, affected noise music a- at all, at all. Like, pop music has become... There's definitely s- stuff out there, like, like, Beyonce's Formation, you know, there's parts of that that are really, you know, to my ears anyway, very, really, like, shrill and intense i I couldn't imagine that having existed you know 10 15 years ago um I would have been very curious as to like if she had released that track 15 years ago just how it would have been received Uh, but you know now it's to my ears anyway like no one it didn't seem to be any real kind of commentary on that it was in any way kind of harsh or something and and i think it's an incredible tune you know give us another tune there dave yeah it's a bit different but next one is tori kudu and it's again from an upcoming release that is going to be a three cd release but it doesn't it has a title but it's a date the the concept behind the release is it's three cd set and it was all kind of pieces that were recorded during the pandemic so a lot of it is very intimate like humming then he kind of you know transcribed all these pieces to to midi and i did a score and then did like two other versions of them so one is he has this long-running group called Hash Hashbaz. So we did the band version and then another solo piano version. But this one is from the solo disc and it's on MIDI. It's not um, that type of like close, intimate sounding. <laughs>
0: That was Tori Kudu and that's was picked by my guest today, Dave Murphy. As a small label, what is the most important thing to try and always do right?
1: Get orders out in time. People who maybe order from or have experience ordering from mail orders and so on, it's not very unusual to wait, you know, quite a length of time sometimes indefinitely for um, stuff that you've ordered to show up. It's not, it's not across the board, you know, but... I always try to, you know, check in with the artists and make sure that they're happy with everything. Um do you foster a close relationship with the band you sign? Well I don't sign anyone it's all on a like just a re- release per release kind of basis. But uh, but yeah, I mean like everyone everyone that I've released stuff by, like it's again it's either like people I've already known personally or like the people who haven't who I don't know or like some people who I've never met, I'm still it's still be, you know in contact with them like there's more to it than just like putting something out into the world like it's it's very like capitalist kind of like way of looking at things and like i don't really i mean you know there's absolutely no money to be made in the label it's you know uh, like the, the most i would ever aim for would be to you know break even and i d- don't expect to break even on all re- releases either but um to me it's important that there's genuine connection with the music that all, almost always kind of extends to the people making the music also.
0: So you mentioned there's there's no money. <laughs> um, is there a bigger risk with certain types of physical format then? So say, for instance, would you only put out a record on vinyl if you were guaranteed a certain amount of sales, do you think? I know it's a very capitalist way of looking at no, it. No, you know what no, I no, mean? no.
1: That's not a consideration for me. Like I, I'll just release something for better or worse without... Uh, the, you know, yeah, without, think, yeah. it, without expectations of how it will do, and you know certain certain things that I've done um, have like done much better than 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 I'd expected, and then you know other things might not have kind of sold as much as I might have expected, you know. But mm-hmm. those considerations for me are are secondary. But then at the same time, I mean, I I do know that I'm in a quite privileged position to be able to to operate like that. I mean, I don't. I don't have a huge amount of money, so I'm very fortunate in that, like, I, I can fund the label from, from my day job, essentially, you know, and it's that's very, like, privileged position to be in. When I did start the label, I was like, well, I'll do CDs, because CDs are, are quite cheap to, to get done, and I absolutely zero interest in doing vinyl, because I just heard so much horror stories about turnaround times, and so expensive, and so on, um, but yeah, here I am. Yeah, like a year later, a year and a half later, um, ready to make the plunge. And I have I've another couple of like um, releases planned to come out in vinyl in the new year and kind of beyond as well. But yeah, like it will be, like I, I know it's going to be obviously more expensive and it's going to be more of a risk. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs>
0: cool. How was your first year with Cream What mistakes did you make, do you think? Or what lessons did you learn, if any?
1: I guess one thing, like I like I, I i i don't think it's it's not a, a mistake or anything but like i i've got quite a lot of stuff in the pipeline at the moment um I've all of which i'm very very excited to to get out um but it does mean that you know there's a wait now in terms of like when i'll be able to get something out by by people and um you know I hope they're all fine with that and I try and be like as transparent and clear about that as possible but once the current pipeline is cleared, I I'm gonna try and slow down a bit. is there any release that you're particularly proud of do you think well I'm proud of all of them like they're all every one of them are very like a special in their in their own way like I was really very chuffed to have the label start with Brent Lewis and Smegma um, because both of those were like big influences um, on me um, And then, and then also to have Kevin included in that first batch, you know, like that was, I mean, he's like, I'm biased obviously, but like the stuff he's doing is, is incredible and getting, like getting better as well, but just to kind of have like, you know, that kind of early stage that he was doing, you know, he had like a really unique sound and, um, I'm really. I'm really, really happy that that's available in a wider edition than just like 25 copies. But yeah, that that first batch, the Rick Potts one, obviously, because of the long history in terms of like that release kind of almost kind of predating the label in, in my head by like 10 years or so. Um, and then the current one, the Usurper one is very special to me as well. Like the old... Um, um, Ali and Malki, who do usurper, are two kind of close pals for like a long, long time, like 15 years or so. Um, and yeah, I'm really uh, honoured to be putting out their final recordings. It's sad, obviously, at the same time that, they, you know, they won't be recording together anymore, but uh, very honoured, I guess. Yeah.
0: What advice would you give? someone who's considering starting a label and these days do musicians still actually need a record label when they have the means to
1: do so much of this stuff on their own so for like let's say musicians at like a more popular level or something you know obviously it's useful to have someone take care of manufacturing and distributing and and all that kind of stuff but for the kind of stuff that i'm doing maybe not like you know like Mm. i mean something that I I haven't quite figured out. I, like I don't know if it's like un- uncomfortable or something. But like you know I don't I don't want like like the fact that something that I put out in a physical format. I don't necessarily think it has like extra legitimacy or anything. Because again, it's just my personal taste. I'd find it strange that people would regard it as having more legitimacy than something might be. You know I mean there are certain digital only releases that I'm sure are are great and you know um, they have their own kind of like ways of this i mean i personally don't listen to a huge amount of stuff online just because um of listening habits and time and when i'm in front of a computer i'm normally working so and within this world as well like a lot of people do self-release that's a a very legitimate way of doing it but i guess it maybe it's a bit more difficult to to self-release um depending on what it is like, unless in terms of maybe like getting stuff to out into the world or into distros or like, I might be the wrong person to ask as well because like a lot of people seem nowadays do p- purchase music primarily through Bandcamp. Like I don't, I use it to to sell stuff, but I don't really use it myself. But yeah, with like with the likes of Bandcamp, then you can buy directly from the artist, and you know that's for the the artist as well. It probably makes more sense to, to get stuff out that way.
0: Just back to the first part of the question. Sorry, that was probably two questions and one. There, just would you have any
1: advice for anyone who is considering starting a label? Yeah, be prepared to lose a lot of time and a little bit of money, yeah. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I guess, like, just just go for it. There's not a huge amount to it, really. Um, In my own experience, you know, I knew I had, like, a wide range of, like, stores and distros that I could contact, uh, you know, that I knew at least, like, a bunch of them would be kind of interested in stuff. But that was primarily, again, through my own listening throughout the years. But, yeah, I I guess it depends on if it's something that someone's motivated to do, then, yeah, just go for it. Ask for advice, you know, don't be afraid to ask other people if you, if you know other people who are you know um running labels um there's there's a wealth of kind of information out there
0: yeah we've come to the end dave before we hear your last tune i just thought of another question will there be a crim cram label day maybe unplugged or something get as many artists as you can i mean i
1: do enjoy doing gigs but it's i, I find it a little bit kind of stressful also okay. just um like at least with running a label like you know if, if I, I release something and you know doesn't sell well initially I still have 200 300 copies of something to sell over time you know with a gig you know no one turns up and then that's it <laughs> you know yeah. what, what do you do and yeah and it also I like I any gigs that I do I all I, I always try and like you know pay people even if it's just something nominal just as a like a respect thing you know but most of the time you know that comes from your own pocket and it's kind of hard to you know keep up that motivation to to do that but at the same time all the gigs i've done though they've been for friends or friends of friends um you know um so a lot of times it might be someone who's a close friend of a close friend of mine might be coming through town and would ask about doing a gig and i'd be like yeah i'll do it no problem and i mean most people are always Fully on board with that. Look, there's going to be 15 people there, tops. And yeah. give us your last tune for the day. Uh, this is Smegma Flashcards. Simple
2: things: feeding themselves, toilet training, proper bed positioning, and simple exercises. Maybe we just didn't know what to do in the past.
0: Tune in to Keeping Track every Monday at 1pm on UCC 98.3 FM. Keeping Track is hosted by me, Dave Hackett. I interview people in our community from all different backgrounds and my guests also choose the music that they love. When I'm not hosting an interview, I'll be playing a random selection of alternative music, old and new. Stay up to date with the show on Instagram where I announce upcoming guests and radio documentaries. You can listen back to previous shows on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Keeping track every Monday at 1 here on UCC 98.3 FM.